listening to Connection Church's podcast. While we uh, continue to take up the offering, I just want to talk to you just a second. Today, we're going to do something a little different than what we had planned. We're actually going to get out of the Gospel of John today. We've been going, started back going last week through the Gospel of John. And uh, we're going to actually be in the Gospel of Luke today. So Luke chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll get there in just a second. Um, and I really want to speak today to a lot of what's going on in the world around us. Um, we live in some very um, turbulent times, very tumultuous times. Um, we see uh, the issue of racism uh, rearing its ugly head. It's almost as though a veil's been pulled back. In a lot of ways, we've been able to see the evil and the, the, the wickedness that is still in men's hearts. Um, and then we've, everybody, unless you've been in a hole or under a rock, knows about the Supreme Court decision uh, that was made. And today I want to talk about what do we do when we're in tumultuous times? What do we do when we face situations like we face now in this world? And my objective this morning is not to offend you. Um, my objection this morning is to encourage us to stay on the mission that God's put us on. Uh, if I don't offend you in the beginning, I may offend you in the end. If I don't offend you in the end, I may offend you in the beginning, but that's not my goal. My goal is that we would stay focused as a church on what God's called us to do. And so we're gonna be looking at that and we're gonna be talking about that. We're gonna begin reading in Luke chapter eight, verse 22. Let's read uh, through verse 25 and then we'll pray and then we'll get into this. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake so that they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Today, this is the first of the four miracles we're going to look at that I believe show us how we should respond in turbulent times, in times when things seem to be confusing, when it's easy to fall into fear. We're gonna look at these and we're gonna learn from them today. So let's pray and ask that God would just let his word sink deep into our hearts. Father, we thank you for another day to worship you. We thank you for your word. God, I know your presence is here. One, because you promised it, but two, because I feel you here, Lord. Lord, would you just have your way now? You are sovereign and you're in control. Would you have your way now? Would you have your way in our hearts? God, let us open our hearts to receive all that you have for us today, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be maybe rebuked and corrected, to be trained, to be taught. God, do what only you can do, God. I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth would be directed by you. Holy Spirit, would you just use me as your vessel today? And let this not be just a good message, but let it come with the power of the Holy Spirit to change hearts and change lives. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been around long, you know that I am not big on flying. I have flown enough now, and you've heard me talk about this. I've flown enough now 
that I've gotten where it doesn't bother me as much. Um, I still get a little nervous, but it doesn't bother me the way it used to. And I was thinking about the first flight I ever took. I went with about 100, 120 other college students, my senior year of college out to Colorado. And uh, we flew out there to, to go snow skiing um, for our senior trip. And I remember uh, thinking to myself how crazy and ironic it was that out of a hundred and something people, I was the one out of all of those people who ended up on a flight by himself, right? Everybody else ended up on a flight with someone and I ended up on a flight by myself, never flown. I was as nervous as I could be. Um, and so I go and I, I sit down in my seat and this um, attractive uh, lady comes and sits down beside me. She was probably about 40 years old, I guess. I'm, I'm guessing her age at about 40, which was ancient, right? And, uh, and, and I was like 22, 23 at the time. So it was ancient. Then I'll be 40 in three months. It's not so old now. Like 40 is very young. Um, and so you're just getting started at age 40, right? And so, uh, and so anyway, she sits down and she, we start talking. Well, I told her it was my first time flying and she figured out I was a little nervous by my white knuckles on the seat, you know? And she said, it'll be all right, I'll walk you through it. She said that her dad was one of the first pilots for Delta. And so she had flown all of her life since she could remember. And she said that I'll walk you through the whole thing. And I was like, man, this is awesome. So we take off and, and, and as we're taking off, she says, okay, now the landing gear's about to come up. And so sure enough, we feel a little bump and the landing gear had come up and then we hit a little turbulence and she'd say, okay, it's just turbulence, that's normal. And I'd say, okay, that's great. And, and, and I'm starting to think maybe this lady is an angel right? And, and so um, I was like, she has been sent from God. Well, then she starts talking about force fields all around our bodies and how our bodies are like magnetic. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then we're about to get off the plane. And she looked at me and she said, hey, some girlfriends and I are going up to the nude springs later. Would you like to come with us? And I was like, I'm out of here. And then I go from her being an angel to her being Satan. And I'm like, I don't know what she's trying to do here. But, but my point in telling you that story is not to talk about New Springs and talk about all those things, but it's to tell you about my first experience flying because in that experience, I experienced turbulence for the first time. And I experienced this, this bumpiness, you know, when you're in the air. And I can tell you this, that every time that, uh, that, that turbulence happened, I would just kind of grip my fist a little tighter and, and every muscle in my body would seem like it tightened up a little bit. Why? Because it felt like it was out of control. I didn't know what was happening. I, it was sort of confusing because I was like, okay, why is this happening? We're in the air. Why is the air rough? Right? And, and so I, I'm trying to figure this out the whole time, but it was turbulent. It was bumpy. It was rough. And I was trying to, 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 to figure out what's going on. And it was, it was somewhat fearful. It's somewhat confusing. Um, so just a whole new experience. And I thought about that experience and I thought about where we're at um, as a people now in our nation, on both sides of whatever issue you want to talk about, times are turbulent, times are rough, times are bumpy. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on now that make us wonder, that make us confused, that make us look at life and go, what in the world is going on? No matter which side you're on. And so the thing that I want to talk to you about today is what do we do when times are turbulent? What do we do when things are going seemingly chaotic, chaotic around us? What do we do when it seems like the moral fabric of our nation is being eroded? What do we do? How do we, what, how do we act? How do we progress? What, what is our response to everything that's going on around us? And so I want us to look at that. And the first thing I would point you to is the fact that Jesus has the ability to calm the storms in our life. We just read this in uh, the gospel of Luke 8, 22 through 25. But what he tells us is that as soon as Jesus got up, he began to rebuke the wind and he began to rebuke the waters and they subsided. 
The thing I want you to see and the th principle I want you to get out of this first miracle is that as long as Jesus is in the boat, we have nothing to fear. As long as Jesus is in the boat, and here's the good news, Jesus is still in the boat. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still ruling and reigning. He is still the eternal king. He will forever be king. And so we don't have to worry about what's going on around us. We can stay focused on the mission of God and we can stay focused on Christ because he still rules and he still reigns. Even when we don't understand the things that are going on, even when we don't understand the hatred that walks into a church and begins to shoot up the place, even when we don't understand decisions that are made by leaders and by rulers and by the people in power, even when we don't understand, we do know one thing that Jesus is still on the throne and Jesus is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we can still trust in him and his leadership. Yeah. What's funny is the only thing that these disciples do in any of these four miracles happens uh, in verse 24 where they say, master, master, we're going to drown. All they literally do is they cry for help. And see, when we're in times like uh, that are turbulent, times that are tumultuous, times that um, are, are scary, maybe times that are confusing, what do we do? We cry for help. Jesus, help us. And he calms the storm. See, in your personal life right now, whatever that storm is in your life, whatever that fear is in your life, you cry out to Christ. He's bigger than your circumstances. He's bigger than what you're facing. And he's able to speak peace into that storm that's in your heart, that's in your life, and the thing that you're going through. And I want you to get that. I really want you to grab hold of that today, that when we face the storms of life and things are confusing and things are fearful and we don't know what to do, the only thing we have to remember is cry out to Jesus. Put our eyes on him. Focus on him, grab hold of him and don't let go because he's the anchor for our soul. He's the anchor that holds us in the middle of the storm. Look at the next miracle. It's the healing of a demon possessed man. It says they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus, this is going to be very important in a second. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon possessed man from the town. I guess that was like their welcoming committee. I don't know, that's kind of weird. Anyway, for a time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. See, one thing I'd like to point out about this is that Satan's time is limited. He knows his time is limited. He's just trying to do as much destruction as he can in the little time that he has left. It says, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken these chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. See, Satan loves to get us isolated because when he gets us isolated, he can have his way with us. But we have community. That's why we have to stay strong in the community, strong in our connect group, strong in our small group, whatever our community consists of. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged him repeatedly not to order him, them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. 
Now think about the confusion of this situation. This man has been in a place of confusion for, for years, he, for, for a long, long time. He's been in a place where Satan's just had his way with him. Um, he's been running around naked. He's been living in a cemetery. He's been, been, been doing crazy things. Even when they would try to confine him, he would break the chains and he would get loose. There was total chaos and total confusion until Jesus walks into the situation, until Jesus comes into place. And this, and I told you this would be important in verse 27. It says, when Jesus stepped ashore, he met, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. When Jesus stepped ashore, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter one. I want to read to you the first three verses. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to you, to the Israelites. I will, listen to this, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I'd never seen this before until yesterday as God was putting this all in my heart. But see, Joshua in Hebrew means Jesus. It's the same word that would be translated in Greek as Jesus. And I thought about that, and I thought about how God had promised, as they were about to go into the promised land, they were about to go and take Jericho, how God promised him, if you'll be strong and you'll be courageous and you'll keep putting one foot in front of the other and you'll keep stepping, everywhere the sole of your foot treads, I'll give you that land for my kingdom. And, and, and we see that. And then if we take that and translate that over, how much more so is that true of the Son of God, the anointed one, the Messiah, that wherever he steps, the kingdom follows. Wherever he goes, he has power over the evil one. What we see in here is that no matter what Satan brings up against us, it, there is greater power and the power is Jesus. See, if it's true of Jesus and it can be true of us because Jesus now lives in us through his spirit. So when we begin to step and we begin to go after the, the things of the kingdom and we begin to go and take new ground for the kingdom, we can trust in this promise that wherever the sole of my foot treads, God will give me that land. Why? Because he's already promised it. And so we can continue to walk. And even as we face uh, troubled times, difficult times, times that we don't understand, times that we're confused, we can continue to walk knowing that the kingdom of God is working. We can continue to walk knowing that greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. And we continue to take ground for the kingdom. So we continue to move with our eyes on Christ. We continue to move with our eyes on the prize. We continue to move in this mission that God has given us to reach the lost, to bring the good news to the herd to bring the good news to the poor, to bring the good news to those who are down and out, to bring the good news to those who are trapped in sin, to bring the good news to those who feel that there's no hope left in the world. That's what he's called us to do. Are y'all awake? I feel like I'm preaching way better than y'all are amen. It says this in verse 34. It says, when those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, listen, they found the man from, the, from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out 
begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. See this man, after all of this was said and done, he was about the mission of God. He kept his eyes focused on Christ and he went and began to spread the good news of Jesus, that the anointed one, the Messiah has come and he began to tell other people. But see, before he was confused, he was in uh, disarray, he was, he was out of his mind, he was running crazy, but when we find him again, after Jesus has brought him deliverance, after Jesus has, has cast out those demons, after Jesus had broken the chains that were literally holding him, Jesus tells him, uh, or we find him sitting, first of all. So he was sitting at Jesus' feet. In other words, he was basically worshiping Jesus in a calm state. See, Jesus brought calm into his situation. Jesus brought calm into this mess of a life that he had. Jesus brought calm where evil had been triumphing. And so we see that that is what God does through Christ, is that he brings calm where there was confusion. He brings calm where there was unrest. He brings peace where there's been troubled hearts. It also says that he was dressed. Think about this, he was no longer naked. He was no longer ashamed because Jesus had put him in his right mind and he had covered his nakedness. See, that's what Jesus does for us. When we surrender our lives to him, he covers our shame. He covers our nakedness. He covers our sin with his clothes of righteousness. And so this man sits calmly dressed in the righteousness of Christ. And then it says he was in his right mind. See, the confusion had subsided. The confusion was gone. And I want you to get this. This is really, really, really important for you to get this today because this kind of is where the, this whole message hinges. When fear and confusion are removed, we can again be about the mission of God. But see, what Satan would love to do is with everything going on in the world, confuse us, put us in fear so that we quit being about the mission, we get sidetracked, we quit preaching the good news of the gospel, we quit, keep, quit talking about the promises of God, we start looking at other issues, we take up fights that aren't our fights because they belong to the Lord, when he's, all he's asked us to do is be proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so we've got to see this, that when fear and confusion are removed, we can again be about the mission of God. We've got to focus our eyes directly on Christ, directly on the prize. And we've got to stay about the mission of God, of reaching those who are far from him. Now he goes on in verse 40 and says, and now, and this is, this is one, really one story, but it encompasses two miracles. It's about a dead girl, a sick woman. It says, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, when I read this the other day, it jumped out at me, and the question that I had to ask myself was, am I expecting Jesus' presence? Because the Bible says that they were all expecting him. The whole crowd was waiting on him. My question to you today is, are you expecting Jesus's presence in your life? When you come in these doors on Sunday for worship, are you just coming to an event or are you coming to an encounter? 
When you get out of bed in the morning and, and you, you, you go about your day, are you expecting Jesus to show up? Are you, you have an expectancy of his return that God's one day coming back? Do you have an expectancy of the Holy Spirit in your life that, that God wants to do work, that God wants to use you? Listen, that God wants to work in you so he can then work through you. Do you have that expectancy or do we just go through the whole hum of life just like it's just, just business as usual? See, we need to live our lives with an expectancy that Jesus' presence is going to be there. We need to live our lives with an expectancy that Jesus' presence is going to move. Because here's an important point. If we live our lives with an expectancy that Jesus is going to move, then anything becomes possible. Anything becomes possible. That God can do whatever he chooses. He can even do it through us. Because we live our lives with this expectancy of Jesus to show up. When there's trouble, when there's difficult times, we expect that God's gonna move somehow. When we're in confusion and hurting and wondering and even scared, we know that God's presence, his presence, he's going to do something. Just keep my eyes on him. Just keep my eyes on the mission and let God work through me, even in those times where we don't know. And see, in turbulent times, we're gonna stand on that truth that God can do anything. That God, nothing is impossible with him. That with God, Listen, 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 two truths that we're going to stand on as a truth, or as a church. The first one is this, that no sin is unforgivable. The second one is that no life is irredeemable. And we're going to live off of those truths. We're going to believe those. We're going to preach those. And see, many times we don't see that. We don't really grab hold of the fact that, that all sin is forgivable. We, we, we tend to, to think of these socially acceptable sins that we can have, that, that, that yeah, those are forgivable, they're not so bad, but then we often group other sins together. But see, here's the thing I would tell you today, Jesus died for all sin. When he went to the cross, every sin was put on his body and he took the wrath for every sin so that there's no one who is beyond the forgiveness of Christ. If they will repent of their sin, turn from their sin and turn to Jesus, anyone can be forgiven. Anyone can be healed. Anyone can be redeemed through the power of Jesus Christ. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter who we've done it with, there's power in Christ. There's power in the cross. And we see that, that Jesus works, but are we expecting him to move? Are we expecting him to move in our lives? Are we expecting people to be saved when they walk through the doors and they hear the, the, the word preached? Are you still believing for that? Or have we settled somewhere else for something less than what God wants to do? It says that they were expecting Jesus to come. Verse 42 in the last part of it, it says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. I read that yesterday and it hit me again about the diversity that followed Jesus. I, I remembered again in verse 40 where it says a crowd welcomed him. We find here in verse 42 that the crowds almost crushed him as they were following him. They were just trying to touch him. They wanted to be around him. They, they were drawn to him. And, and I began to think again about how all of these different people were drawn to Jesus. I started thinking about who was in that crowd? Who was in the crowd that wanted to get to Jesus, who needed to be touched by Jesus? I started thinking about, you know, there were probably alcoholics in that crowd. I started thinking about the fact that there were probably racist bigots in that crowd. I started thinking about the fact that there were probably adulterers in that crowd. There were other sexually immoral people in that crowd. Um, I started thinking about the fact that there were probably uh, um, um, 
uh, people who had done things that we wouldn't even possibly fathom them coming close to Christ. But see, Jesus drew people to himself, all types of people. And one of the truths, another truth that we're going to stand on is that God has called us to do, to be on mission, to reach all people. God's called us to be on mission, to reach all people. And see, here's the key guys. We can't hate the people we're called to reach. We need to quit having hateful confrontations and begin to have compassionate conversations. We need to get to a place where we're no longer um, um, alienating and pushing away the lost, but we're bringing them close and introducing them to the God who can change their life. Because see, here's the reality. Everybody's looking for something to be their savior, but there's only one who's qualified. There's only one who has the pedigree. There's only one who is able to be the savior, and that is Jesus. And I don't care what somebody tries or where they go or what they think is going to fulfill them. We need to be ready to catch the rebound because it's not going to do for them what they think it will do. And so we need to be ready to catch them. We need to be ready with the grace of God. We need to be ready to show them the love of Christ. The Bible goes on in verse 43. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding was stopped. See, this lady had tried everything. In the gospel of Mark, it tells tells us that she had even spent all her money on on doctors and, and she'd only gotten worse. And so we see that everything she had tried, nothing helped her. Everything seemed to make her worse. Uh, The bleeding wouldn't go away. And then finally she bumps into this guy named Jesus and she says, if I can just touch him. And there was a superstition that if they touched the cloak of the Messiah, the hem of his garment, that that they would be healed, that, that infirmities would go away. And so as we look at this lady, in her mind is this superstition that if I touch the Messiah, I'll be healed. And so she begins to go and as she reaches up and touches him, power leaves him. It goes into her and she is healed instantly. And the thing I would tell you though, is it wasn't the superstition that healed her. It was the person, Jesus Christ, who healed her. And he still heals people of all kinds of things today. He still heals people of addictions. He still heals people of diseases. He still works in powerful ways in people's lives. And we need to be expecting him to move, expecting him to work in all of these different ways in the lives of people and in our own life as well. And so we see this, we see that there's a truth that we need to recognize. And that truth is that Jesus is the only hope for the world. We, we can put our hope in every, anything else, but it's going to be disappointing. We, we can't put our hope in the government. We're going to be disappointed. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. You're going to be disappointed at some point in time. We, we can't put our hope in the Supreme Court, no matter which side you're on. We're going to be disappointed at some time. The only one who fulfills and the only one who has a right to be the hope of our life is Jesus. No one else has done for you what Jesus has done. No one else went to the cross for you and took your sin upon himself and died for you and took your wrath upon himself for, so that you could live. No one else deserves that privilege to be the hope of the world. Jesus not only deserves it, he earned it. He earned it as he did what he did for us on the cross. Verse 45, it says, he, the, the, the lady, or Jesus says, who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, master, the people are crowding and, and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. I love that section. One, because it shows us that Jesus cares about the individual. 
I mean, Jesus was a rock star at this point in time. And yet was the people crowded around him. He still had a heart for the one we need to do the same thing. Our hearts should be the same way that, that we we're unsatisfied until every single individual person comes to the knowledge of Christ. See, we can't get to be a church that has a lot of people. And as people walk through the door, we just snap a number on their forehead. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to love every single person because every single person has a name. Every single person has a soul. Every single soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. And we dang well better care about where they spend it. Oh boy. They came trembling. It says the woman then seeing that she could not go unnoticed came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. See, her uncleanness had disqualified her from life. See, she was in a place where this bleeding, it it wasn't just a physical ailment. It was something that in her life had separated her from God and from people. She could no longer go into the temple and worship because she was considered unclean. And so this uncleanness kept her separated from God. This uncleanness was something that kept her from being able to worship in the temple. This uncleanness was something that kept her from even being able to have a normal family life because if she touched anyone else, they then became unclean and were disqualified in the same way that she was for a certain period of time. And so her life was completely um, in shambles because of this illness. And yet we see here that Jesus comes and what no one else could do, Jesus removes this uncleanness from her. See, that's a picture of what Jesus does for us is he comes and he takes our uncleanness from us. And the principle and the the truth that we're going to stand on and that we're going to believe is that Jesus died for all sins and all uncleanness. That he didn't just pick some, but it was all, everyone that he died for. And we need to understand that that there's power in the gospel for the forgiveness of sins. There's power. See, many times what we don't understand and what we don't get and what we miss and what we don't see is that the people that we see as unclean are the very people that God's calling us to reach. We've got to keep our eyes on the mission. We can't be distracted by the the turmoil and the things around us. It's like static on on a radio. We've got to stay tuned in. We gotta keep our eyes on the mission. Many times, see, listen, here's the thing that happens. If we quit um, ministering to and preaching to and sharing the love of God with sinful people, then we've rejected the very ones that he gave his power for. And let me ask you this. If, if, if people didn't reach out to sinners, where would you and I be? Where would you and I be? See, I know where I'd be. I'd probably been dead about six years ago. Maybe 10. I know where I'd be. I know who I am still apart from Jesus. I know who I am when I stand up here and preach to you every week. There are so many weeks I feel like a hypocrite because I stand up here and I tell you the truth, but it's so hard to live it. See, Susan and I, we had this huge fight Thursday and Friday and I'm sitting in my office Friday afternoon going, how am I gonna preach to people when my life is so jacked up? But then God reminded me, you don't preach because you're perfect. You preach because you know the one who is perfect. And I've given you my righteousness and I've appointed you to this position. 
And you do what you're called to do. And we have to do the same thing, remembering that Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness. He's clothed our nakedness. He's clothed our shame. And that we're able now to be free of sin. Just like the song we sang, that Jesus has broken every chain, that God has set us free in Christ, and that we can now live a different life. See, grace covers every sin. And even when sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That's not a license to sin. We don't sin so that grace will be seen more. Here's what we do. We use grace as the power and the catalyst so that we don't sin. But when we do sin, we have a place to fall. And that's in the grace of God. And so we, we, we're going to be a church that preaches and that understands that all sins and all uncleanness was paid for on the cross by Jesus. The Bible says in verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. That's huge. Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. Listen to verse 53. It says, they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. See, these people were there mourning, but many of them were just paid to come and mourn. Oftentimes, they would just hire people to come and mourn. Some of these people may not have even known the little girl who died. And so they're out there wailing and moaning and carrying on. And Jesus is like, just be quiet for a second. Let me do work. And so he goes in and we know that eventually he's going to heal her. He's going to raise her from the dead. But see, here's another truth that we have to stand on and that we have to believe and that we have to go after. We have to go after the fact that we will stand firm in the face of naysayers and in the face of persecution. Because this is what I can tell you. We've had it since day one and it's not going anywhere now. No matter what people say, no matter what people think, we're going to preach this book right here. We're gonna stand on the truth of this book. We're not gonna be dictated by what's handed down to us. We're not gonna be dictated by anything other than the truth of God. See, there's a lot of other truth out there, but it's all little T truth. This is the only big T truth. And so we need to see that. We need to understand that, that our lives should be dictated ultimately by the word of God. And see, there were naysayers. They laughed at him. They made fun of him. And they made fun of Peter and James and John who went in with him. They probably laughed at the parents like, are you really buying this? Are you really believing this? The little girl's dead. But the question I would ask you is who got to see the miracle? Who was it that saw the miracle of God? The ones who took Jesus at his word in verse 50 and just weren't afraid, but they believed. It says, don't be afraid. Just believe. What do we do in times when things seem to be going crazy around us? We don't fall into fear. We believe. We trust. We know that God is sovereign, that he's still on the throne and that he's in control. Bible says in verse 54, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. See, here's, here's something that's awesome to me. It's, it's amazing to me. When Jesus spoke, things began to happen. He could just speak and calm a storm. He could speak and the demons leave this man. He could just be touched and this lady is healed. And then we see him speak again and this child comes to life, goes from death to life, just as we go from death to life in Christ and we put our faith in him. 
And the reason that that happens is because Jesus's words have authority. And see, this whole book is the word of God. Jesus' words, the Bible says that he even became the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In fact, he was the full expression of God's word, everything that had been written. And when we look at his word, and one of the truths that we will stand on as a church is the fact that this is our highest authority. That this determines who we are. This determines what we do. This determines what we believe. Much of our life is, 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 is oftentimes in turmoil and falling apart because we don't simply trust this book as the highest authority. See, it's not our emotions that are our authority. It's not um, some decision by higher ups that's our authority. Um, it's not uh, some, some powerful person somewhere that becomes our authority. Do we respect government officials? Absolutely, until it crosses this line. This is our authority. And we're gonna preach this book because this book tells me that God had a plan from the beginning. It tells me that when everything fell apart, when the creation began to go to hell in a handbasket, that God didn't panic because he had a plan. It tells me that in the right time, he sent his son to be a sacrifice for me, to be a substitute for me, so that he took my sin upon himself, so that he took the wrath that I deserved upon himself. It tells me that what Jesus did on the cross is greater than what Adam did in the garden and that Satan has no hold on our life any longer when we put our faith in him because greater is he, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, in us than he who is in the world. And we have victory in Christ. The last thing I'll tell you today and the last truth that we're gonna stand on, that we're gonna believe, is that obedience to God is the best way to live. Obedience to God is the best way to live. How do you stand in tumultuous times and turbulent times? Verse, or chapter seven in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So here's what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us that the best way to live is in obedience to what he says. And I know we say this a lot, if you've been here before, um, you've probably heard it. But here's the thing we always tell people, listen to God and do what he says. It's not just something that we say because it sounds good, it's something we say because it's how we truly try to live our lives, because it's the best way to live, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't think that things uh, are, are gonna work out the way we want them to, we trust that God's way is the best way and we make our decisions based off of his truth. And the Bible says that when we do that, that when we do that, it's like we've dug deep and built our house on a rock. It means that spiritually we've set our feet upon a foundation that cannot be shaken. When the winds come and, and these, these turbulent times come and the rains come and everything's threatened, it means that we can stand firm because we built our house on his word. We know that our heart is right before God and we trust him simply to do what he's promised that he would do. We simply believe and we do not fear what's going on around us. It's that simple. It's, it's simply not being afraid and believing and then listening to God and doing what he says. We complicate it so many times, but it's true. And I just want you to know, like, this is, this is the truth. I've seen this true in my life. I know what God did in me. 
I know where I was. I know where I would be if Jesus hadn't saved me. And I know this, I know that Jesus can save anyone because he saved me and is saving me. And as imperfect as I still am, he's still working on me. See, we can't throw anybody away. We give up on people way before God does. But God never quits and he pursues us. He calls us to himself. All people. I was thinking about this message and thinking about something that happened very early on in our church. And it was when we were in the blue building um, and there was, uh, this was at a time where we maybe had room to seat a hundred people. Um, if we had over a hundred, they had to sit in a different room where they could barely see. And I remember preaching a message one day about the gospel and about what Jesus does and how he works in our life. And, and I remember walking out of the sanctuary and I was walking, going towards my office and a gray haired man comes up to me and he wraps his arms around me and starts hugging on me. And I'm like, kind of like, I guess we're gonna hug. And so I hugged him back and then he kind of pushes me away, holds me by the shoulders and he looks at me and the first words out of his mouth were, Brandon, I'm gay. And out of my mouth without thinking about it, I said, God loves you. And he said, I know, I realize that today, but I've been thinking about killing myself for the last few weeks. And he said, but today I had the first hope I've ever, or I've had in a long, long time. He said, thank you. And I began to watch his life. I began to watch how God was moving in his heart. And one day I'm in my office and he comes busting through the door. If you, if you knew this guy, you know, he's pretty just direct and to the point. He just comes busting through my door. I'm like, yeah, come on in, you know? And he, he, he sits down and he goes, Brandon, what's wrong with me? I was like, I, I don't know. He goes, what's wrong with me? He said, I went uh, today and I was getting my hair cut and I started telling the lady cutting my hair about Christ. What's wrong with me? Sounds like a good thing to me. And then he goes, Brandon, I went and bought a cross and I started wearing a cross around my neck. And he goes, the cross of Christ. It's like, yeah, I figured that was the cross. And he goes, what's wrong with me? I said, I'm, I'm not making a connection here. It doesn't sound like anything's wrong. I'm thinking, is, should I pay more attention in counseling classes? I'm trying to figure this out, right? And then he goes, Brandon, I'm moving back in with my wife and we're trying to work things out. What's wrong with me? I said, I don't think anything's wrong. So I think a whole lot of things are right. I think God's working in your heart and in your life and beginning to set things right. And he said, I know Brandon, but why did I wait so long? I'll never forget that as long as I live. Why do we wait so long? Why do we wait so long to receive the good news of the gospel? Why do we wait so long to make a, make a decision to follow him, to get off the fence and to begin to go after him, to begin to trust that his word is true, begin to trust that the Bible is what it says it is, that God is who he says he is and that Jesus is who he says he is and that the Holy Spirit will do what he says he will do. Why do we wait? What are you waiting on? He's given this invitation to all of us to just come to a place of trusting Him. Come to a place where we, we realize we need a Savior. And there's nothing on this earth that's big enough to be our Savior. There's no one who's good enough to be our Savior. 
except for him. No one else has done for us what Jesus has done. And today, that's the invitation that you have. Is if you don't know him, you can get to know him. And what you need to do is say, yes, yes, I want a relationship with Jesus. Whatever it is in your life, it's not of God. You turn from it. You begin to pursue it. You begin to follow him. You go after him with everything that you have. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then you live your life as though that's true. Because you believe it in your heart. And we don't clean ourselves up to come to God. We come to God, and then he begins to clean us up. We just come with a heart that says, Jesus, I need you. Remember at the very beginning, I told you, our one cry when things are, are tumultuous, when times are turbulent, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. My question is, is there anyone here today who you've never said that? You've never said, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. You've never surrendered your life to Him. But you know that the Lord is drawing you here today. I'm not talking about church attendance, and I'm not talking about, yeah, I went to Bible study. I'm not talking about I belong to a campus ministry. I'm asking you, do you belong to Jesus? Have you surrendered to Him? If not, and today you say, that's what I want, that's what I need, that's what's in my heart today is a relationship with the Lord. Now I'm just gonna ask you right where you are, just slip up your hand, slip it up where we can see it and we can celebrate it, amen. It's okay if you wanna raise your hand, amen. Who else? Anybody else? proud of you, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Mr. John, will you pray with him? Yeah, in the blue and red shirt right there. Here's the deal, guys. We're called to be one body. There's no black and white. There's no rich and poor. There's no male and female. The Bible says we're all one in Christ. And my prayer is that we would be on mission together, focused on the mission of God. No what's going on around us, we focus, laser-like focus on Him. And I don't know what's going on in your personal world. I, I, I don't, but God does. And God can speak peace into that. And so what I want to do is I want to pray. As I'm praying, if you would like prayer for something, anything, you come down here and our prayer team will be here to meet you. Maybe you wanna pray for somebody. We'll, we'll pray with you for that person. Whatever it is, our prayer team will be here. We wanna pray with you. We wanna to minister to you. Walk through life together with you. So I wanna pray. If you want prayer, you need to pray about something. Maybe you need to leave something here at the altar. You come forward and do that while I pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace that's bigger than our sin. We thank you for your truth that's like a light unto our path, lamp unto our feet. God, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. Just show us your way, Lord, show us your truth. And let us follow, send the Spirit of God rushing into our hearts so that we can follow you. And that our lives would line up with this big T truth, your word. And God, people may call it outdated and antiquated, but we know that it's the truth. We know that it wasn't an accident, we know that 66 books of the Bible written by over 40 authors and telling one story from beginning to end is not an accident. 
So we, God, we trust you. We put our, our lives in the hands of a God who brings things into order. And God, we'll keep our eyes focused on you and on the mission that you've given us. So we continue to walk this life out, no matter what comes, Lord. Plant our feet firmly upon you as we obey and as we follow. In Jesus' name.